Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 45 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show about veteran mental health on the Change Your POV podcast network. Today, we're talking about a congressionally mandated report on the Department of Veterans Affairs Mental Health Services conducted by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. Approximately 4 million U.S. service members engaged in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, and this report evaluated how the VA provides mental health services for these veterans. To help carry out its charge, the committee conducted site visits and sought input on the use of VA mental health services directly from veterans of these wars, their families and caregivers, health care providers, and others at each of the regional VAs across the nation. I'm joined today by Dr. Alicia Caraquiri, a distinguished professor of liberal arts and sciences in the Department of Statistics at Iowa State University and the chair of the committee to evaluate the Department of Veterans Affairs Mental Health Services. We heard things such as, oh yeah, you know, I have problems sleeping and sometimes I don't want to get out of bed and yeah, sometimes I drink too much, but oh, that's just nothing. It'll, it'll, it'll pass. Um, if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling depressed, if you cannot sleep, if you have nightmares, um, if you feel uncomfortable in crowded places, uh, please go and seek at least an opinion uh, because those are all symptoms of a potential mental health issue. And, you know, we heard from some veterans that they don't seek care because they don't think uh, mental health care works. It does work. <laughs> and so... Um, so I hope that, uh, that after hearing this, uh, more veterans will, um, you know, will take action and at least uh, see whether they might uh, benefit from some mental health care. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veterans, service members, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation.
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Headspace and Timing. Uh, once again, and as always, I really appreciate you taking the time to learn more about veteran mental health. Uh, and as you know, we often uh, highlight different aspects of veteran mental health, uh, but uh, I I definitely wanted to bring someone on because there was a, a very, very big report that was released uh, at the end of January uh, from the National Academies of Science and in Engineering and Medicine uh, about a congressionally mandated report uh, or evaluation on the Department of Veterans Affairs Mental Health Services. Uh, and so as everyone knows, as you listen to this, um, uh, I, I am a proponent of the VA, um, but I, I also try to be an honest broker. And I reached out to the National Academies and, uh, and to my, um, <laughs> my very much appreciation, I was able to um, uh, get in contact with the chair of the, uh, of the board who uh, conducted this study. And so today's guest is uh, Dr. Alicia Karakwiri, and, uh, and she will be talking to us about this report. So uh, uh, Alicia, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, let me start by saying that, that for me and for the rest of the team, this is a really big honor to, to lead the study and, 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 and look into mental health issues for veterans. We all appreciate what veterans have done. Yes, and, and I think that uh, this has gone a, a long way, especially in, in my um, uh, industry as, the, as a mental health professional, uh, has gone a long way to really set some things out. And and of course, it is a 440-page report. Um, unfortunately, I have not had the time to dig into all of it, um, but I but I have uh, gone through some of it. Uh, and, and I appreciate the effort that has been made uh, by the committee and by the National Academies to do this, because I don't think there's enough conversation about veteran mental health uh, in general, uh, and then VA uh, veteran mental health specifically. So before we get started about the, um, the findings, um, I'd like for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe uh, how you came to, um, to get involved in this. Great. So um, I am a professor of statistics at Iowa State University. Uh, I am Hispanic. My country of origin is Uruguay. And I have been in the United States for over, oh, I'm, I'm a native by now. I've been here for almost 40 years. Um, the, I have been very active in the National Academy of Sciences and other reports. And so when this came to pass, uh, when this study came to pass, this was at the time, this was about four years ago, uh, this was at the time when the VA was, uh, there were all these scandals that were coming up with, uh, uh, with scheduling issues. And, um, and so Congress wanted to do an in-depth study of, uh, of quality and access to mental health care by veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I think uh, I was selected to chair this committee for two reasons. One of them is that I really was a tabula rasa, if you will. I had uh, no preformed opinions about the VA, whether it was good or bad. Um, and the second issue uh, was that um, our study involved a lot of data collection and data analysis and interpretation. And so for that, you really want to have a strong uh, statistics team. Uh, in the committee. The committee was formed by 18 top-of-the-line professionals in different areas. Uh, we had uh, people that were, we had a retired um, army colonel, 
um, we, who's now herself a veteran and the mother of two active duty servicemen. Uh, we had uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and sociologists that had been, uh, in one way or the other, associated with the VA. Uh, we had a large number of uh, statisticians, as I said. We had an anthropologist, um, a social worker, a psychiatric nurse. Um, so it was a, it's, it was quite a. Oh, we had a former high-level uh, administrator of the VA. It was a very diverse committee, and um, everybody sort of jumped in headfirst and um, and was really active in the report. We had we worked over four years, and we had uh, 16 uh, in-person meetings. By the end of the report, we were all best buddies, as you <laughs> can imagine. <laughs> um, I should also say that, uh, you know, when the National Academies uh, – agrees to do a study like this, it really does it in a very serious way. Um, National Academy reports um, are thoroughly vetted. Uh, after they have been written by the committee, the report goes out to very extensive reviewing. Um, the, re- the committee has to uh, respond to each and every one of those reviews that come back. And only after uh, the committee has um, uh, done this uh, successfully, the the academy will release a report. So by the time the academy releases a report, it means that the academy stands uh, fully behind it and its findings. And so, you know, this this still means something. Yes, and and I uh, again not of course looking um, uh, reading the entire um, uh, report, but uh, it it is very comprehensive to me. And, and um, my concern and the concern of many of my colleagues is, um, you know, are we identifying the problems that need to be solved versus applying solutions when we're not certain what the problem is? And, and my view of, uh, of the report is that it really does identify not just problems with the VA, and that's not what this, this is, definitely isn't a witch hunt, and we'll get into uh, some of the, the findings uh, contrary to that, but just the problems regarding mental health in general. And it sounds like you put together a very comprehensive team uh, to uh, to do that, and it shows in the report. Yeah, it's you know it's a very complex issue, and you know, mental health uh, in the United States in general is is an issue, not only among uh, veterans but also in the civilian population. And access to mental health in the United States is uh, it's uh, it's a it's a tough question. Uh, you know, I live in Iowa, and uh, in Iowa we have really uh, serious issues uh, out of four uh, mental health providers in the state. Uh, two have been, I mean, large mental health providers, uh, two have been closed. And so uh, accessing high-quality mental health uh, is even an issue for civilians, let alone for veterans. So, yeah, it's a problem. And, and again, and we'll get into this a little later, but culturally competent care um, is, is very important, too. And we talk about when mental health providers are working with veterans, they need to understand the unique aspects of, of veterans themselves. Um, if a veteran goes to an orthopedic uh, a doctor to look at their knee, whether they got a knee from a, a, a bum knee from a skiing accident or jumping out of an airplane, a knee is a knee. 
but mental health is not it's not a one-to-one comparison when it comes to veterans because it is unique uh, unique services and unique experiences that veterans have oh yeah i mean veterans come in particular uh, you know from this from these wars these i'm sure i'm telling nobody uh, something they don't know already but you know that this has been the longest uh, lasting war that the united states has ever fought mm-hmm. uh, all volunteer army, uh, multiple deployments, uh, deployments of mothers and fathers in families, uh, large proportion, largest proportion of women uh, deployed in the history of, of the armed forces, um, issues with uh, LGBT veterans. I mean, this, is, this was a very diverse uh, fighting force. There's some very specific issues that... Uh, that apply to these particular cohort of veterans that that hasn't been seen before. And one of the things, as you well said, one of the things that uh, almost uniformly every veteran reported was that they felt much more uh, comfortable being treated by somebody like them. Uh, In other words, you know, a veteran themselves, uh, and then hopefully, you know, if you're a female veteran, uh, a female provider, and so on. So yeah, that's it's a it's a it's a gnarly gnarly issue. So to uh, get into a, a little bit of the findings, and I'll definitely make sure that the um, both the links to the uh, synopsis um, and then you know the entire report is available in the show notes. Uh, but one of the first things I wanted to kind of uh, hear your input on. Um, is is one of the biggest things about um, the perceived need of care. Uh, And and I'll read from the report. um, Approximately half of the OEF, OIF, OND veterans surveyed by the committee who may have a need for mental health services do not use VA or non-VA mental health care services. Uh, More than half of veterans who have a mental health need do not perceive a need for mental health services. Uh, And then there were some uh, quotes in the report, things like self-awareness regarding one's mental health is not synonymous with screening positive or being told. Uh, the results show that perception of mental health condition is an important factor in the likelihood of, of getting care. And that tells me that it's not, the stigma against seeking mental health services is there, of course, but it's not as much that as uh, it's a fact of whether or not they think they need it in the first place. And so it's, it's more of a self-awareness problem rather than I know I have a problem and I don't want to get services. Absolutely. And, you know, that was one of the, that was really something that we found very striking. Uh, let me just say that, uh, let, me, let me make one point. Um, so we had the survey of veterans, uh, and we ended up with about a little bit over 4,000 veterans in a sample. And we screened all of those veterans for the potential of mental health issues. And the screens were the, the, the screens we used were the standard screens. So there was a screen for PTSD, a screen for, um, for depression, substance abuse, uh, you know, all the usual screens that are normally uh, in place. The fact that you tested positive, of course, doesn't mean you have a mental health issue. It just means you need to undergo further tests to confirm or not that you have a mental health issue. And so we, we only did the screeners, and from our screeners, uh, we found that out of the 4,000 veterans we interviewed, 
uh, about 2,000 uh, had the potential for a mental health issue. And of those, about half were not even aware that they did. And so my and so that's a real issue, right? Because if you're not aware you have a mental health problem, you're not going to be seeking care. And therefore, you're not going to be getting better. <laughs> and so um, one message for veterans is, you know, we heard things such as, oh, yeah, you know, I have problems sleeping, and sometimes I don't want to get out of bed, and, yeah, sometimes I drink too much. But, oh, that's just nothing. It'll, it'll, it'll pass. Um, if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling depressed, if you cannot sleep, if you have nightmares, um, if you feel uncomfortable in crowded places, uh, please go and seek at least an opinion uh, because those are all symptoms of a potential mental health issue. And, you know, we heard from some veterans that they don't seek care because they don't think uh, mental health care works. It does work. <laughs> And so, um, so I hope that uh, that after hearing this, uh, more veterans will, um, you know, will take action and at least uh, see whether they might uh, benefit from some mental health care. No, that's uh, that's absolutely true. And you say that uh, you know this shall pass or this shall go away. Um, and then when five years, 10 years, 15 years, and it hasn't passed, um, and, and that's what I think we saw with earlier generations um, as, uh, as waiting, you know, almost decades really before getting into help. That's a big thing that I've seen with the veterans I work with is the older veterans are really uh, exhorting the younger veterans to say, hey, get this taken care of before, you know, don't wait as long as I did. Uh, it, but then that's exactly, I think, uh, in, and I just had a, um, an experience recently with a veteran that, um, uh, that did say, hey, things aren't going uh, as well um, in my life. Uh, and as we sat down, no, there was not depression or, or you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or anything like that. And so I was able to tell him, you know, you're, you're actually doing pretty well, you know, compared to maybe some other veterans um, uh, in, in, in your cohort. And these are the areas in which you might want to look into. But it, it doesn't mean we have to be Freud on the couch for, for two or three years. Um, but that's, uh, that's exactly it. And, and it struck me out of the report that it really was veterans just don't know they need it. Mm -hmm. And then once they become aware that they need it, the stigma kicks in. Yes. And, well, you know, one other thing is that, of course, veterans, and you know this yourself, Veterans come out of this culture where everybody needs to be a macho man, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, you know, you're out there fighting uh, and, and you have superiors that, you know, if you happen to say, I think I'm having an issue, you may have a superior that says, dude, you have to man up. Uh, that really doesn't help. And so, uh, so that's, that's another issue, right, that this, this veterans think, I should be able to take care of this myself, but sometimes you can't. And so that's a big uh, issue. And then of course, once you decide you're going to have, um, you're going to have yourself checked or, or get an evaluation or what have you, then the stigma thing kicks in. And this is not, uh, this is not exclusive uh, to veterans. Uh, the civilian population also feels that uh, being diagnosed with a mental health dis disorder is a stigma. And uh, luckily, this is changing. Um, 
but it's changing slowly, slowly. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, everybody, it's, it's understandable, uh, in a sense, that veterans will feel that um, if they get diagnosed with a mental health disorder, uh, their colleagues are going to think less of them. Um, they're, they will have issues keeping custody of their children, and, and you know, maybe their employment is going to suffer. Um, I think that this is something that um, is changing for the better, uh, but I admit it, it's still not uh, completely changed, let's say. Uh, for veterans, of course, there's an added issue, which is um, veterans fear that a diagnosis of a mental health disorder uh, will impact their work in uh, law enforcement or security, which is areas where many veterans end up working, um, and, you know, for which they need to be allowed to carry weapons. And so veterans are particularly worried about the fact that maybe their weapons are going to be taken away. And uh, I think you need to be uh, in really, really dire straits before you are not allowed to carry a weapon. Um, so, you know, if you are at the edge of, of harming yourself or others, maybe you won't be allowed to carry weapons. But, but there is no, um, you know, there is no, um, what should I say, uh, effort out there to keep veterans from carrying their weapons. No, absolutely. And I, I think um, that's one of the things is, uh, especially um, in my experience, veterans will wait till there is a crisis moment um, before they seek help. And then that gets to that point where other measures may be taken. Whereas uh, if we get in and, and we see uh, mental health as common as getting our cholesterol checked or, or you know, these, these common things that we'll have to do every year, um, that, that that will uh, help reduce the likelihood that those things are going to happen. Uh, and then, Alicia, you had mentioned about uh, uh, first responders. Um, it is significant. There is a, a, a um, transition from um, military to law enforcement. Uh, listeners of the podcast have heard, obviously, before. My father was a Vietnam veteran and then um, became a, a St. Louis City cop in the 70s. Uh, we didn't know where, you know, the trauma from uh, Vietnam uh, and then the trauma from the streets where, where one uh, began and the other ended. Uh, and so it is a common thing. And we're having a national conversation about veteran mental health, obviously, with the, the National Academies and Congress um, uh, with this report. But there's not a national conversation about first responder mental health. Um, and there are a lot of similarities between the two. Oh, gosh, yes. And, you know, this is what veterans know how to do, right? So security, peacekeeping, law enforcement, and so they naturally gravitate to this type of, to this type of profession. And, um, and, yes, like you say, you know, the trauma from one, it just keeps getting compounded with the trauma from the other. This is not an easy line of work. Um, and so the earlier you get yourself... Uh, uh, into some sort of care, uh, first of all, the, the biggest the chance that care will be effective uh, with the least amount of disruption um, and, you know, and that you will be able to lead a happy, successful life. It's hard to carry around uh, 
uh, trauma from war. Yes, <laughs> no, it is absolutely, <laughs> uh, and it's and it's hard to carry it around uh, by itself. I and mean, when we talk about you know the stigma and these things happening in isolation, but it's even harder if the veteran doesn't have a a support network. Uh, and that's another finding that came out of the report was that uh, uh, current era veterans who have significant others who support their their treatment seeking were much more likely to use VA services than those that, that didn't have support. So a veteran that was experiencing these things in isolation um, was less likely to reach out. Um, I've said before on my podcast, uh, some of the shows and my blog, that veteran mental health does go beyond PTSD and TBI. One of the factors that I've seen um, is the strength or deficit in personal relationships. Uh, and that yeah. seems to be supported by the study. If a veteran has the support of their family and community, then they're more likely to get the help they want and need. Um, that tells me that there's a need not only then to educate the veterans, but their family members in the community at large. Absolutely. Uh, that was another striking finding that the support around the veteran uh, is highly correlated with not only them seeking treatment, but also staying in treatment and having a successful outcome. Um, it's not only family, it's, uh, you know, neighbors, uh, the church, uh, you know, veteran organizations like, you know, Wounded Warriors or um, many of the other uh, community service organizations uh, for veterans. So that's really, really important. So if you're if your son or daughter or spouse or friend or neighbor or, you know, person you talk to in church is a veteran and may have mental health uh, issues, please talk to them about it and encourage them to seek help. Yeah, that's uh, and that goes back to, uh, as you said before, not just the stigma against veteran mental health, but mental health in general. It's this taboo subject that we, we don't bring up in polite company. Uh, but that's really the effort behind this podcast and the blog and these discussions is to make talking about veteran mental health as common as talking about the weather. You know, how are you feeling today? Oh, not not too good. I had a rough night. I didn't sleep. Hey, you might want to check, you know, and those kind of things. But it's but it's having those conversations, being comfortable enough to have those conversations. And that doesn't not all veterans get that. No. And it's you know, it's so important. And uh the more we talk about it, the the less this is in the dark, uh, the better it's going to be for everybody. And again, you know, veterans, um, uh, they are like everybody else in the sense that they really uh, have this sort of shame about having this mental health, uh, potential mental health issues. This should not be something to be ashamed of. Yeah, and I think that really plays into what veterans, as you said before, they don't believe that mental health uh, is going to work, that they don't believe that therapy is going to work, that they, they, they have this internal stigma that, that isn't challenged uh, by someone coming out and saying it, it actually does work and, and you can receive benefit and, and live that life of peace. And I think that even applies to what veterans think of the VA. Um, as you mentioned, the study was was generated from all of the scandals and, and all of the wait times and, and all everything in the media. Uh, so veterans who, and I, I've often said it, we really don't need a reason to avoid therapy. So any reason is a good reason. <laughs> yeah. And seeing the reports of the VA um, not providing good services um, is a reason to say, well, forget it. I'm just not going to go. 
But one of the things that, that you found, uh, that the study found, was that a majority of current era veterans who use the VA actually report positive uh, results and experiences with with VA mental health services. And and through the study, that's not just, um, you know, a big VA, quote unquote, uh, but also like the vet center and things like that. And, and that tells me that um, a lot of veterans feel as though the majority of mental health professionals at VA are qualified. And, and that goes back to the culturally competent care. VA providers exclusively see veterans. And so by default are more culturally competent than community providers, providers who who do not have exclusively veteran clients or who may not have taken the time to be culturally competent. Absolutely. So before I launch into those subjects, let me first say that once you, um, so the care that, the mental health care that veterans get at the VA is comparable or better than the care they would get elsewhere, non-VA, public sector, private sector. The VA has, is the largest provider of mental health care in the United States. Uh, like you say, it, you know, it serves exclusively veterans. Uh, many of the providers are veterans themselves, not all of them, of course, but many are. Um, and the VA really, really strives to, uh, to um, improve the care uh, it provides the veterans. Um, Veteran centers, for example, is something that sometimes people do not uh, think of as part of the VA, but they are part of the VA. And this is one, uh, this is one type of um, um, outlets that, that uh, veterans are very pleased with. So most veterans say they feel very comfortable in uh, vet centers. Typically, they are... Um, Received these vet centers are typically uh, staffed by veterans themselves, um, and and they it's a less formal environment than the medical centers, and it's a very good gateway for veterans to sort of make the first step into the VA, and then of course if they need uh, you know more specialized care, we sort of uh, piped into the VA uh, medical centers themselves. So the, the vet centers are um, everywhere, and these are places that, uh, that I think v- most veterans would feel comfortable in, and it's a, it's a pretty good first step into the VA. Um, the, let's see, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, okay. but, the, it, but in general, the, the veterans find it positive, um, the, the positive aspects. Those veterans that do overcome the stigma that then reach out and access services um, do find that it's generally positive. Yes. So they do, and, you know, they're right. Uh, these are, the, the, as I said, the mental health care veterans get is, uh, is at least as good as any other they're going to get outside, and in many communities it's the best possible care. Um, the, the VA is unique in many regards. Uh, one of them is that... Um, the VA can integrate primary care, you know, like your regular doctor, um, specialty non-mental health care, like, you know, your diabetes uh, specialist and mental health care. And, and we are, you know, we humans are one chunk. Yeah. And so all of these things are highly related. So, you know, if you, you have mental health care issues, you probably are going to have some other issues 
or if you have a disability, physical disability, that might lead to some mental health care issues and some other issues. And so the VA can offer this sort of holistic, integrated care that's hard to find elsewhere. Um, the, 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 the veterans find that once they get into the VA, uh, the mental health providers are competent, uh, caring, um, you know, they know uh, they are up to date with the latest in terms of care. Um, the, there's a big research component in the VA. So, you know, the, the VA uh, practitioners are always up to date with the latest techniques. Um, the, the culture is one of what's called patient-centered care, uh, which means that uh, this is not cookie-cutter treatment. Um, you know, you get evaluated, uh, you get asked what you might, you know, you get, you know, maybe you get different choices. You get asked what makes you more comfortable. Maybe you start with group therapy sessions and then you say, this is not for me. I cannot open up in a group of people. Well, then if you speak up, maybe you will be switched to a different type of care. And so this is... Um, you can take some um, you can take some ownership of your own care, uh, of course, with the guidance of, of of highly competent professionals. And and that's uh, I I have seen the same thing um, as I've often mentioned here on this show. I am a proponent of the VA. I have a lot of respected colleagues with the VA. I think that they're they're very very good. They're very competent. But another finding uh, of the study was that uh, the, the VA's ability to deliver high-quality care consistently to all veterans across all facilities is a little bit of a challenge. That tells me, um, you know, it, it, veterans think the VA is the VA everywhere, but it's like when I was in the military. There's some great places to be stationed, and there's some not great places to be stationed. So Fort Carson, Colorado is a great place to be stationed. Fort Polk, Louisiana, not so much. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's... And it, and, and I see the VA as the same thing, where staffing levels, community need, access to services are all different factors in VA regions. So what happened in Phoenix isn't happening in Washington, D.C., but veterans really, I guess, don't see that. Yeah. So as I said, you know, this, the VA is gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very large, very complex system. Of course, the VA includes not only the health services, but also benefits and many other agencies within the VA and the VA offers all types of health uh, care services, mental health care and everything else. And there's, I don't know how many, but very many facilities around the United States. And of course, not every uh, facility is operating at the same level. So there are definitely underperforming facilities. And, um, and that's one of the that's one of the issues that we found that the VA needs to really try and make sure that every facility is performing at the same level. I, by, by that, I mean at the same high level, not at the same low level. Obviously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's, you know, it's a problem and the VA is trying to do uh, what it can in the face of uh, the fact that there's a dearth of mental health uh, professionals out there. 
So, you know, there's not enough psychiatrists to go around. There's not enough psychologists to go around, believe it or not. I, every time I talk to somebody that's studying psychology, I, you know, I don't understand how there's uh, a deficit of them. But, but there's, an, there's, a, there's a shortage of mental health professionals out there. And the VA is competing with the private sector to attract those, uh, those mental health uh, uh, professionals. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes you're going to have issues of staffing. Um, the, the work the VA professionals do can be uh, pretty stressful. You know, it's hard to, to, to sometimes to work with veterans that have some serious issues, not only mental health but others. And so there is quite a bit of uh, turnover in some facilities in the VA. That's another problem. And so uh, the the... The report includes some specific recommendations on how to try and alleviate some of these staffing issues and uh, try to bring up those underperforming facilities up up to speed. And I think one of the 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 efforts um, is to make a connection to to community providers uh, like myself, like my organization. Um, to be that, that operate as you said at the same high level of care, and of course that's not that's there's complications there too. Um, you know there is this um, a very big discussion about uh, privatization of you know in and but in my opinion it can't be all or none. Uh, I had uh, Dr. Heather Kelly from the APA on an earlier show, and and it it can't be all care in the community because of obvious reasons that you saw in the report. Uh, and and it also is unable to be all care in the VA because of the the simple overwhelming um, number of veterans that that once they become aware of these uh, issues then they reach out and seek services, and so it, the there's this complicated dance uh, right now with the choice program, community providers versus um, uh, VA providers, uh, and and you found some things like that in the report as well. Yeah, so the CHOICE program, of course, for those veterans that may not be aware of, um, uh, says that veterans can choose to seek care uh, elsewhere, like in the private sector, if they, ha- if they don't find care in the VA or if they are unhappy with the care they receive in the VA. And um, there's several things, right, about that. Uh, first is that I said before, if um, there is a shortage of mental health professionals, Overall, so if you're in a community that doesn't have a, a VA that offers mental health care, I'm not sure how much you're going to find elsewhere. Um, the other thing is that uh, if you go and seek care in the VA, um, the the care you get is thoroughly vetted. In that, um, the the professionals in the VA follow something called. Um, what do they call it? Uh, well, Evid- best practices. Yeah, evidence-based practices, EBP. Yeah. Yes, EBP, evidence-based practices. Uh, they have to fill seven thousand forms to, you know, to to prove that they have uh, crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's and so on and so forth. And this type of um, uh, oversight is not available for. Uh, uh, providers in the community. 
So some veterans that get care through community organizations may be getting very good care, but others it's not clear. And so that you know, there's a there's a little bit of a caution there in terms of seeking care in the community. Some organizations, like yours, for example, that are more the the uh, you know the nonprofits, the advocacy organizations. In many communities, those have established very good uh, collaborations with the VA. Uh, so if you're a veteran and you're seeking care at a, com- at a community-based uh, facility, for example, you may be getting care that's provided in cooperation by the professionals at the facility, but also by a VA professional. And so those are exemplary models where you have a really good cooperation between VA and, and community-based organizations. And that's what, uh, if you're thinking about getting care outside of the VA, that's the type of structure um, that's ideal, I think, uh, because there is a, there's, a, there's a good oversight, if you will, of the non-VA provider. And I think that's very important, and, and it brings out that there's a collaborative nature um, between providers in the community and the VA, and not a competitive nature. It's a it's an and both instead of an either or. Um, but that's something uh, again that I've seen as a a, a choice provider um, in, in our agency. Um, the companies that are contracting, um, bringing on choice providers, do not. Uh, evaluate for cultural competence. And, and we talked about that earlier, that, that they don't verify that the provider who is signing up to provide mental health care has the cultural competence, the understanding of the unique aspects of veteran mental health. Uh, in, in my experience, this has led VA mental health providers to be less confident in referring to any community providers because they, they, they're not certain, like you said, whether or not the veteran's going to receive evidence-based practices. And and one of the recommendations is is having more of a comprehensive connection between VA providers and non-VA providers. Yep, you're absolutely right. So ask me about uh, ask me about telehealth. <laughs> well, in telehealth, I, I I did see that. I mean, it's uh, this is one of the things. That in <laughs> amusingly, we had a little bit of a technical uh, glitch this morning uh, before we got on the call. Um, but, about which. <laughs> but younger veterans, um, I, I saw that younger veterans um, are, are more likely to access um, uh, uh, telehealth and use the internet for for treatment. I actually had, I was in a conversation, uh, this probably was a year ago, and, and somebody said, um, well, veterans aren't looking for uh, mental health on social media. Uh, and I said, have you seen Facebook lately? Because they're sure talking about mental health there. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and so telehealth is becoming a big thing. Yeah, telehealth is becoming a big thing. And the VA is a pioneer in the use of telehealth. And, you know, we haven't talked about the particular plight of veterans that live in rural areas that may be very far away from uh, VA facilities or even private providers for that matter. Um, telehealth is a uh, a really good option to reach those veterans. It's also a good option for those underperforming facilities we were talking about. If you have a facility somewhere that doesn't have the best, um, the best professional staff, let's say, 
and you're a patient there, you could still get access to a super uh, competent psychiatrist or psychologist from a different facility. And so uh, I, we, are, um, we were pretty gung-ho about uh, recommending expanded use of telehealth at the VA um, as a means to alleviate not only the, the, the isolation for rural veterans, but also the, you know, the, the staffing problems in some facilities. And then, of course, you have the veterans that, have, you know, that may not feel comfortable in a crowded waiting room, um, that really do not want to leave home, uh, you know, for these type of veterans uh, that suffer this type of uh, disorders, this would also be a very good option. Uh, so uh, hopefully uh, there's going to be a little push, a more push to, to, to move some services to, to telehealth. And I absolutely agree. And and uh, as again, many listeners know, I'm I'm here in Colorado. And if you're not familiar with Colorado, a large number of the population lives along the Front Range in a corridor. Um, but there are a large number of veterans that live in the Central Mountain region uh, or in the southwest of the state um, that don't have access to um, to the VA, much less community providers, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah. And it and it makes me think of of course where you said in, in Iowa the the larger number of um, uh, of veterans uh, or the larger number of organizations have shut down. I'm originally from Missouri, from St. Louis. So if you're in St. Louis or Kansas City, you can be pretty assured that you're going to get uh, some good care. But if you're in rural Missouri or rural Iowa or the Dakotas are are big and and I just in Texas, of course, that there's not a lot of access. And oh no, and and I think that in and yes, younger veterans, which is this this cohort that we're looking at, are much more comfortable with technology, um, and and I can see that telehealth is a big thing, and that's something that us as community providers, or even using technology as a platform to um, to talk about veteran mental health, as we're doing right here, um, I think it's critical and and definitely needs to be explored. Yeah, definitely. Um, the you know sometimes we've heard so many horror stories of veterans that would have to, you know, get up at six in the morning to catch a bus to go somewhere, three hours on the bus, then get to the VA, then another three hours on the way back. Uh, You know, that is pretty rough Mm -hmm. if you have to do it once every couple of weeks. You miss work. I mean, there's all kinds of, you're a mother, you have nowhere to leave your kids. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, serious issues there. So I hope that, um, that the, the, you know, the acceptance of telehealth uh, grows among veterans. As I said before, a veteran doesn't need any reason to avoid therapy and a three hour <laughs> bus ride every, you know, to each way is definitely a barrier. And so it's a matter of then uh, veterans are just saying, forget it, I'm going to. And the, then even the ideas you said at the beginning, this too shall pass. Uh, and and yeah. it really won't. So no, it won't. <laughs> this has been a, a great conversation, uh, Alicia. I, I really appreciate you taking your time to to really break this down. And, and I don't even think that we, we didn't even get through half of the recommendations. Um, definitely. <laughs> I mean, there's there's just so much in this report, not just for providers like myself, um, but uh, but for veterans and, and community um, uh, support personnel and families. Uh, I just, I really commend uh, you and your team and the academies for putting this together. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. 
Well, thank you so much, Train. And, you know, first of all, I'll be happy to talk with you again if you, if you would like to. Um, second of all, I have to say to all veterans out there, I'm in awe. Um, like I say, I'm a statistician. I'm a, I have, before the study, I really knew nothing about veterans' mental health, the VA. And, um, and I have come to learn how complex and how very important this topic is. And so it was a real honor for me to, to chair, to lead this work. I hope it has a good impact on veterans and their families. Um, and um, I'll be happy to come back to the blog whenever you uh, want to ask some more questions. Sure. So um, is there, um, I'll definitely make sure that, uh, like I said, the connection or the links to these, uh, these reports are in the, um, in the show notes, but uh, is there any way that if someone who's listening might want to contact you or get some more information about the uh, committee, uh, is there any way that, uh, that they can do that? Yeah. So my email address is the best way to catch me. Uh, my email address is very easy. Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, at iastate.edu, iowastate.edu. I'm a professor of statistics at Iowa State, and I would be delighted to hear from your listeners. That's great. So I'll make sure that, uh, that that information is in the show notes as well. So thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. Man, that was a lot of great information, and we only scratched the surface of the stuff that's in the report. If you're a veteran, a family member, or someone who supports veterans, I really suggest you check out at least the key findings of the report. Dr. Kira Query and I were only able to touch on several of these, but I'd like to provide them for you here. First, there is a substantial unmet need for mental health service in the OEF, OIF, OND population as identified using standard screenings of mental health conditions or veteran-reported diagnoses. Second, a number of VA health system factors may either facilitate or be barriers to veterans' willingness to seek care. Third, many veterans' personal factors may either facilitate or be barriers to veterans' willingness to seek care. Fourth, a majority of OEF, OIF, OND veterans who use the VA report positive aspects of and experiences with VA mental health services. Fifth, many OEF, OIF, OND veterans receive high-quality mental health care from the VA. However, the VA's ability to deliver high-quality mental health care consistently to all veterans across facilities and subpopulations is an ongoing challenge. And finally, the VA dedicates resources to and has a history of implementing innovative practices in the area of patient care, health information technology, and quality monitoring. 
Now, a lot of you veterans are going to be listening to this and saying, yes, but that's not my experience at my VA. And that's probably very accurate. Uh, one of the things that uh, I recommend that you do is get involved at the local VA. Many VAs have a uh, local mental health council, which is run by veterans for veterans. Uh, it's another avenue to be able to advocate for yourself and your needs. Uh, so I recommend that you, uh, you reach out to your local VA to find out if there is a mental health council. And if there's not, talk about putting one in place because ultimately you are the one that's going to care for your own support and advocate for yourself. So thank you again for listening to this episode of Headspace and Timing. Uh, we really appreciate you always uh, taking the time to listen. And uh, remember, veterans, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-created enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic tendency, embrace my ability so there you have it, folks. Another episode of Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to changing your perspective on better mental health. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use the track Not Alone from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc's a guy who's trying to bring the discussions about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you need to check him out. Head over to therealdoctodd.com to purchase the album and support the cause. You're not alone, veterans. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-created enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic tendency, embrace my ability
Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man, you've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up, you know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.